Hi, everybody. My name is John. I'm alcoholic. Hi, John. And it was... I had three years. Uh, <laughs> anyway. This is beautiful. Somebody's doing their 12-step work. You know, it's... Uh, this is... I'm on a high that you can't believe. Anyway, um, I'm supposed to get up here and talk for a while. I talk to the taper. He's got his machine going. And uh, i got to think of something. Um, I, uh, it's going to be tough. Uh, my story's... Uh, I didn't drink for a long time. When I come to Alcoholics Anonymous, everybody had drank for 40 years, whole locomotives, that kind of story. And um, they were what was called pure alcoholics, booze fighters. I was an impure alcoholic. I had a program called Take Something, You'll Feel Better. And uh, so I... Uh, yeah, I go to people's homes, and the first thing I did was go and look in the medicine cabinet, see what was on tap for that night, you know. And uh, but uh, and if it said that little vial said take one every four hours for pain, that's the one I ripped off. I had uh, a lot of pain I didn't know about, and uh, I used to get off pain before it ever got to me. Let's be honest. You know. But I was doomed. The most beautiful thing that Alcoholics Anonymous did for me was to tell me that I was doomed. That there was no way. Uh, there was only one way. And uh, I didn't think I could do it. I really didn't think I could do it. But anyway, I tell a couple of stories and um, uh, got to fill that tape in somehow. Um, the uh, I come from uh, a, uh, a Irish Catholic family that... Uh, uh, and I don't know if anybody was alcoholic, but there was a lot of booze consumed. And um, uh, and uh, the uh, Irish, when they get together, they get rambunctious. Uh, uh, it might be called violence in some circles, but um, they... Um, Christmas Eve was a beauty. We used to call it uh, Stomp the Tree Night. And uh, the... Uh, and I'm not putting an indictment against my daddy. God, I love that guy, and he loved us kids, but he could really be a real jerk when he was drunk. And um, and uh, my mom would join him on the weekends, and then there was hell to pay. And um, a lot of times we'd be woke up three or four in the morning, and my dad would be saying, are you going with me or are you staying here? And uh, it's hard to make a snappy decision that early in the morning, you know. So uh, us kids would just cry and everything and run around, and uh, and they stayed together right to the end, you know. But um, but anyway, I was uh, I, took, I I was taking a trip, uh, and I was I had an older brother and I had a younger sister, and uh, and there was later on in uh, I'd get twin sisters. I had there were three girls, uh, but anyway, the twins hadn't arrived yet. I was about four or five. I was on my way uh, in the back of this car, and uh, we was headed for a town called Tehachapi. And um, I never, I'd, I'd never been to Tehachapi. Uh, no reason. I asked my mom, uh, "Where are we going?" She said, "Tehachapi. We're going to go up and visit uh, uh, our neighbors, uh, some relative." But anyway, the car was didn't belong to my mom, but she was driving. She was a lot younger than this lady that owned the car who was sitting next to her. But anyway, uh, we were headed down the road and had a pretty good clip, and it's all desert land out there on the other side of the, the mountains. And uh, I asked to roll the window down, and my uh, mom said, don't roll the window down, too windy. And I said, it's hot back here. I want to roll the window down. She said, damn it, I told you not to roll the window down. So I knew with her driving... Uh, if I scooted way back in the seat, uh, she wouldn't be able to reach me, you know. And, uh, 
So I got back as far as I could, and I uh, rolled the window down. But it was not the window. It was the door. And this car, everybody tells me, it had to be about a 34 Ford uh, sedan. And the back doors opened up into the wind. And when that door opened, it become airborne. And, uh, and I followed it. And I went, I went down the road on my head like a pogo stick, you know. And uh, my mom heard that roar and her friend yelled out, oh, my God. And uh, she pulled over and she fell over the steering wheel and started to sob. My mom was probably 30 years old. And her friend was looking back and said, don't cry, here comes that little bastard running like hell. And I was, uh, I, uh, I thought they were leaving me. And, uh, and I was running my buns off. Well, I tell you, you know. But anyway, uh, I, uh, I crushed in the back of my head. And, uh, I was, uh, and I always thought, you know, that's what made me goofy. Uh, because I knew that I was different than everybody else in the world. And I was different. And uh, I just didn't let anybody find out that I was different. And so I spent uh, quite a few years uh, trying to be like you. And um, that was unfortunate for me. But anyway, I had, um, um, I had nightmares as a kid. And... Uh, Five kids. I was the only bedwetter. That always makes you feel like a champ. Um, I got, uh, another thing happened. And these things probably have nothing to do with me being alcoholic. But I remember them. And, uh, I was supposed to make my first Holy Communion. And then somebody, I know there's another Catholic in AA. I, uh, I met him in Anaheim. But I'm going to... But, um... Anyway, I studied the catechism. My dad drank every day except Sunday morning. My dad was hungover and he didn't drink anymore until Sunday evening. My dad was a happy-go-lucky drunk. I mean, us kids would run to him and roll him when we'd seen him, if he had drinking. And, uh, but if he wasn't, uh, we stayed away from him. He had dangerous. But uh, on that particular Sunday morning, I had a white suit on. My mom had borrowed it from a cousin. We didn't have a lot of bucks. And um, the little girls were in white dresses. We were in white suits. We had white shoes. Everything was white. It was a beautiful thing. And uh, we're headed for the St. Anne's, and it was my day. My brother had done it ahead of me. It's traditional. And I had reached a use of reason, they said, whatever that means. And um, so I went ahead and uh, made the trip, and I reached down alongside the seat, and I found a peanut, and I ate it. That's no big deal, right? It was a big deal. They had been telling me for months, weeks, do not eat anything solid from midnight on. You must fast. And so the minute I finished that peanut, what to do, what to do, what to do. You know, I, um, I, I wasn't about to tell my dad he'd use my head for a soccer ball. That's what I thought. So uh, I went ahead and received the sacrament, some of you know. I committed a mortal sin. <laughs> That's as high as you can go in the Catholic Church. <laughs> mortal sins in the book was things like murder, rape, and adultery. I was six years old. I'd already hit the big time. <laughs> I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't even know how to do those things. And you know what? This is what I'm getting to is, you know, I never told anybody about that peanut till I got to A. Yeah. Well, you know, this program, isn't it beautiful? 
Oh, there's, I've been here since Thursday. And I hear the sharing, and the sharing goes on and on and on. And we're so happy to see one another, so happy to be with one another, you know. And, um, and so um, I think that's the program, is the sharing. Because there came a time when I looked at another man, eyeball to eyeball, and said, you know what, I'm a real loser. And he said, so what, I'm a bigger loser than you. You can't pop anybody in AA. Um, so I, um, I went ahead and shared with you, and then a little Mexican girl said that she ate a tamale before communion. <laughs> and um, uh, there was a guy over in Woodland Hill said that he had a, a jelly bean on Easter Sunday. I never sunk that low. <laughs> and um, there was uh, don't laugh. A lot of you people had a hot dog on Friday. I know who you are. I see you squirming around out there. You know. yeah. Isn't this beautiful? You know, I uh, I did a four step with a man, a fifth step, and he was a rough bozo. I mean, he was skid rope, tougher and tough. He had been beat up, crunched, kicked, stabbed, and I did a fifth step with him, and uh, he cried. And, uh, I didn't think I had said anything real bad, but he cried. Big tears come out of his eyes, and I said, well, I'm sorry I made you feel so bad. And he says, you made me feel good. He said, you realize that you've been carrying that stuff around for 30 years and you honored me with uh, uh, letting me listen to it? So that's the way the program works for me. It's uh, sharing. And I've done a lot of it since I've been here Thursday. Um, and John, you know, um, uh, John's a beautiful guy. I mean, uh, he's the reason I'm here, you know. Um, I, it's, uh, I had some inside connections, you might say, and John got me here, uh, and, uh, but we had, uh, that we had, that room that we had had no television, had no, um, didn't have anything, really, had a shower, uh, I had my, uh, duct decoys in the kitchen sink, soaking them, see if, uh, there's any holes in them, if they sunk, you know, I had to fix them. And uh, in the living room, I had a uh, shot shell reloader mounted, and, uh, and I had a big hunting dog when John showed up. And uh, I was so damn lonely. Um, and it was, when he showed up, I grabbed onto that guy. I wouldn't let him got away anyhow. And, uh, and, and so we shared about two and a half years of um, uh, going to meetings. We made a lot of trips together. When we made trips, I had an old station wagon that had wood sides. And uh, the wood sides with big chunks of it would peel off once in a while. <laughs> and uh, it was fun watching the cars behind us dodging that wood, you know. But um, the, uh, uh, and our dog sat between us, my dog, and uh, Deke, my second sponsor, said, you know, you're going around with some ugly women, you know. Uh, they, uh, uh, and uh, we never told Dutch. That was my dog's name. He's very sensitive. Uh, but, you know, uh, when, I, when I look back on it, uh, and John thinks that way, too, uh, we found one another, you know, in, in different ways. Uh, it might have been an AA meeting. It might have been some, but we found one another. And, and, and the alcoholic is, is uh, this is uh, the most unique group of people in the world. Uh, when you stop and think about it, to me they are. They're beautiful people. And I still like to uh, uh, go out and uh, work with the newcomers. We, we don't get as many. I was talking to somebody here today. I have not seen a convulsion in a meeting in maybe 20 years. But I used to see them. And uh, uh, 
They used to be pretty common. They call them seizures. We called them convulsions. But men would fall out of chairs and squeal and, and yell and uh, bite their face, and, and um, they were sobering up. But I haven't seen that because the hospitals have, you know, stepped in and taken care of these poor devils. But um, it's still the program worked. I was, uh, I got into, I haven't taken a drink yet. I mean, you, uh, and it just looked like I drank a lot. But uh, <laughs> I, I was, uh, I sipped my dad's beer, but oh, that's no big deal. I didn't want to dance or my face didn't clear up or nothing. Um, the, uh, uh, but, but he died and my daddy died. He's my buddy. He took a long time dying. He had cancer. And, uh, and when he did not, no longer was able to control me, I did what I wanted to do. So consequently, I was failing in school. And I didn't go to church anymore. They sent me off to mass and, uh, and give me the collection money in that little envelope. And I pocketed that. Real criminal type. And, um, but I was doomed. I knew that. I just had a feeling that, uh, I am being, I'm really a, a not a good person. And I got, uh, I'd go to the confessional and make up a bunch of stuff, you know. Yeah, I sassed my mom. That was a good one. Uh, good for five Hail Marys or something. But I didn't tell him anything true. And so, uh, my brother was a merchant seaman, been merchant seaman through World War II. And, uh, and then he decided I should go to sea, so I become a salty sailor. I was five foot two, weighed 110 pounds. And when I got on the ship, they were disappointed. They've been looking for some help. But, um, <laughs> luckily my brother was on that ship too, so. And the way I got on it too was a, uh, a town called Texas City had blown itself to pieces and, and, uh, two ships had disintegrated and I was in Galveston at the hiring hall and, all of a sudden, there's a whole lot of job openings, so I got me a job. I was a merchant seaman. And uh, I uh, I drank. Everybody else did, too. And uh, I liked getting drunk, you know. And uh, we got drunk. That was part of the deal. I only knew three men in six years that never drank on the ships. And, uh, and then uh, we go into places where we couldn't get uh, foods. Like Saudi Arabia, they they don't drink. They uh, their Bible says they're not supposed to drink, but they got hashies over there. <laughs> um, they got lots of hashies over there, you know. They got tons of hashies. Anyway, they'd be better off drinking. Believe me, that was bad. That was bad. Okay. Um, so. We called it a hubbly bubbly pipe. They call them hookahs and uh, water cool pipes, pongs, whatever. And uh, so uh, one thing about smoking dope, you get really cool. I, I was, uh, uh, I wasn't very sophisticated till I smoked that hashies. And then after that, I took an average interest in the music. I don't know where that came from. And then. Um, Going to jam sessions, concerts, and uh, we used to go to the Lighthouse Cafe, you know. Every other customer in there was a, a narc. And uh, and we always was going around saying, what's happening? I said, I don't know what's happening, you know. Um, no one knew what was happening. And I tell you what was happening. That stuff was eating out the inside of my head. Uh, you giggled at funerals. Uh, you can eat 12 tacos at one sitting. Uh, anyway, I was on a ship where everybody smoked dope. We was missing our ports by 200 miles. And, uh, you know... But uh, everybody looked happy, you know. <laughs> like, what's happening, you know? 
but um, anyway, I did my uh, I did drinking, and uh, you know I never did learn how to roll a joint. I uh, used to roll a joint look like a tootsie pop, and um, <laughs> once the end burned off, the charge would fall out on the floor. Hard looking cool with a burning zigzag paper hanging out of your mouth. I was doomed. I was doomed. I was headed that way. I was headed that way. And uh and I got into the drugstore stuff, pharmacy stuff, the paragoids and charcoals and drank a lot of turpentine hydrate and and uh, uh and it went on and on. Take something, you'll feel better. I was not feeling good. Unless I was loaded. Um, and I was 16, and we're, a lot of you younger people didn't have the opportunities to get uh, into the stuff that I did. But um, I, um, as I moved along there about, um, and I got, I started having the feeling that if I could uh, quit doing this, I would be okay. And that's a mistake. That's a mistake I found out in AA is that I had a lot of problems when I quit doing that, and these problems had uh, multiplied like rabbits. And so uh, uh, there's no way that I was just going to stop and everything would be okay. So anyway, I had um, uh, I got on one ship that went instead of going back and forth between Japan and the, uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, we went on through the Red Sea into the Mediterranean and we shipped in the Mediterranean for a while. And consequently, I saved up some money. And uh, I saved up enough money to buy a brand new old 88. They had just come out that year. I got off the ship in uh, Boston, and I went in and I bought a uh, brand new Oldsmobile 88, bought the insurance and everything, and I drove back out to the West Coast. And I wanted to get back out and start killing myself again. You know. So uh, I got... Uh, uh, I got back, I was about four months, I was in serious trouble again. My mother, you're going to prison, you're going to prison, your brother's in prison, you're running with the same people. And so I um, I said, you know, I'm going to go back out to sea, and I'm going to do that again, and I'm going to get cleaned up, and I'll be all right. Once I'm cleaned up, I'll be all right. I won't hang around with those people anymore. And a brand new old 88, I took it down to the dock. And there was a guy who was going to pick it up for me. And you know what? I, on the way down there, I uh, met a truck. Uh, the truck was trying to get off the island. The island is called Terminal Island, and the Navy's there, and the, and Bethlehem Steel was there, and my ship was at Bethlehem Steel being refurbished. I didn't make the trip. I hit this truck. The truck driver later on said that I was coming at him at a high rate of speed, and my head was resting on the steering wheel. I'd taken a nap, and uh, he veered to get away from me, and uh, I plowed in behind the tractor, took out a set of duels, went underneath the truck, and came back out again. I now had an old 44. My, uh, My car was only two foot tall, and um, and it was shaped like a horseshoe. But anyway, I laid there on the cement, bleeding, and people running around and trying to help me. Well, please, somebody fix me. And I ended up at the amputee ward in uh, Harbor General Hospital. They tried to put me back together the best they could. Everybody in there yelling for pain shots. I wasn't the only one. Hey, nurse, I got a pain shot coming. No, you don't. Yes, I do. No, you don't. Yes, I do. It went on all day. If you got any more drugs coming, check with your doctor. I can only give you what's on the chart. Well, what about my sleeping pill? She said, for God's sakes, it's only 9 in the morning. Uh, yeah, but don't forget. Get on. I was now preoccupied with taking something. Get on. And so um, uh, I left the hospital. If you're ever been in that position and you get out of the hospital, you know you never 
going to sleep again. I knew even after I died, I'd be wide awake for two weeks. I could not <laughs> sleep. And so uh, I started drinking for sleep. And then my family rejoiced. Uh, John has returned to normal. Because I'd drinking like them. But I didn't drink like they did. They drank when it was time to party, the weekends or whatever. Mine was a daily uh, drinking. Daily, take something, you'll feel better. And uh, I married, that's another beautiful thing about this meeting is coming here is my uh, my daughter, um, who I didn't get to raise because they left when she was three. This poor woman that I married, her Arlene's mother, uh, was um, in real trouble uh, because I was, uh, I raged sometimes, and uh, sometimes I didn't. Sometimes I'd be in a rage and I'd break things. We didn't have much, pitiful things. We had few belongings and I would tear them up. And I was a madman. And then sometimes I didn't remember. Sometimes my wife would say, are you proud of yourself now? And I said, what happened? I don't think she believed that I didn't know what happened. And she said, you went into your King Kong act again last night. And you um, terrorized, the baby cried all night. Uh, you're a maniac. And, uh, but not always. Sometimes it was, I'd just wake up watching the Indian test pattern on TV. But, um, and I'd still be in my work clothes and I'd still be in the chair that I sat down to drink whiskey and, and wash it down with beer. I was doomed. I was going to, Kill myself. I had some kind of thinking, a flawed thinking, that was going to kill me. And uh, I was going to do it to myself and hurt a lot of people while I was doing it. Anyway, uh, got into, um, uh, went to doctors, won't please somebody fix me. I had one doctor broke out a heart determined needle as big as a bicycle pump. He said, roll up your sleeve. I about tore it off. I said, bad, this is going to be something. Um, it was uh, some B1, B12, uh, cod liver or thigh. I don't know what it was. It was some damn vitamin. And uh, then he gave me a prescription for nervousness. And I always got nervous when I quit drinking. And so... Um, and what it was was phenobarbital. It's a perfect cure for nervousness. And um, I'd find myself standing in a corner, didn't know how I got there. And, um, and I'd drink again and again and again. And I was in my 20s. And uh, finally I got hospitalized. I had something called portal cirrhosis liver. Looked like I'd eaten a sack of cement. That's painful. And uh, in there, now this is where we talk about miracles. And a lot of people don't want to hear the word miracles. But if you look it up, it's, it's a phenomenon that can't be explained in human terms. That's one definition. But why, and I guess you could look at it as pure chance, but in that hospital was a guy that was sober five years. Uh, from North Dakota, drank up the farm, was down there in Pomona working for a termite company. And they had taken most of his stomach out. And Kenny was across the hallway. I hallucinated again. I'd done it before. Ran through the hospital like a madman. They couldn't give me anything. They wouldn't give me anything with a needle. And orally, I couldn't take anything. I'd throw it right back up. So uh, I come unglued there one night. Anyway, uh ran into his room. I sat there for a while. I was quiet. This poor devil had a tube in every hole in his body with that operation he had. He wasn't moving, couldn't go anyplace. And, uh, but he wasn't scared of me. The nurses were. And, uh, but he was, uh, told me, he says, I've been sober five years in Alcoholics Anonymous. My mind was, so what? I need a fix. I need something. That ain't going to do me any good, so I cut out. Anyway, they finally gave me some peraldehyde. It's uh, uh, 
uh, alcohol and uh, ether solution. And uh, it, it worked. But anyway, um, the AAs had now been alerted because of Kenny, five years sober. In comes the AAs. <laughs> he points to my room. They come in and stare at me. <clears throat> I wondered who the hell they were, you know. I thought, is this Jehovah's Witness? I didn't know, you know. And then, they said, uh, we're alcoholics. I said, oh, that's great. Anybody holding? They said, um, they said, we don't take anything anymore. I said, what about sleep? They said, no one dies from lack of sleep. Don't you hate answers like that? <laughs> I died every night. I couldn't sleep. And then they said, we've started to pray. I said, uh-oh. Oh, boy. I can't get out of this bed. I can't run. And so I thought I'd head them off. I said, I love Jesus. And um, I said, I love Joseph, I love Mary, and, and I love all the apostles. And uh, they just shook their head, you know. And uh, they said, we'll take you to meetings. That's what they said. We'll get you some literature you can read. That's what they said. And that's what they did. And I left the hospital and I took a prescription for nervousness. The doctor said, you're going to be nervous. I said, I know that. And uh, it was some tranquilizer. I was supposed to take one every four hours. got mixed up. started taking ten every four minutes. And, uh, <laughs> I go to the meetings and people in there were looking for serenity. I had serenity to burn. I, was, um, I mean, I could have had an arm fall off, and I would have said, I got another one, so what? You know. <laughs> Take something, you'll feel better. Insanity, you know. I uh, was insane. I was insane. And uh, these poor people were trying to help me. And so I went, uh, one day I walked out of the, the uh, courthouse, I'd been in jail for two or three days. I had moved in with my mom, and she kicked me out after all I had done for that woman. I couldn't believe it. And, um, but I walked out of jail, and I think I had a prayer, because I was in jail, and I was a bum, and I was 26, and all the other bums were 50. And I think I said, God, could I have a day today where I don't have to score, where I don't have to line up on a Jay's liquor store? And uh, I got that day. And I moved into a halfway house, and um, one night I slept. I slept eight hours. That's no big deal, right? It is for an alcoholic. I slept eight hours. And I woke in the morning and something had happened because I said, I wasn't running anymore. I said, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you. And uh, that's, that's what started it. My spiritual awakening, the book says, when a man or woman is able to do, see, and believe different on their unaided strength, uh, I had done that. I, had, I couldn't will myself into unconsciousness, but I had slept for eight hours. So that would be my, I'd classify that as my spiritual awakening. So that began my journey with you people. And uh, I'm always lazy. Hard for me to get to do anything. John come along. He's a go-getter. We're running our buns all over the place, making 12-step calls. We, a lot of the men, we make 12-step calls on tides, uh, drinking. Uh, and uh, But we always said that we were like two rotten fence posts leaning against one another and if you pulled one away the other would have fallen and um, and that was our uh, that's the way we approached the program 
uh, we didn't have, uh, we had many uh, adventures. We always had the big book. We shove it under this old station wagon, the one where the sides were coming off. And, uh, and then we felt secure. If we had the big book under the seat, we felt secure. And then we would take off and do whatever we were going to do. So I've made friends, and I was not a person I thought would ever have a friend. I was an isolator, and I was a person where my eyeballs turned in, and I studied myself all the time. <laughs> and um, I, uh, and that's not good. That's not good. And in AA, they'll kick you in the buns, and your eyes will click out. And um, pretty soon, you'll see something other than yourself. And it's hard for me, you know. Uh, I'm slow to volunteer for anything. I'm lazy. I'm now a GSR. And GSR, I've been GSR over a period. I, my last birthday, I was 45 years in the program without drinking. And I just wanted my friend John to hear that. Uh, <laughs> I have seniority on him. But you know, um, I, uh, GSR, some of you, I know there's GSRs out there. And it's not the most exciting thing to do in AA. I mean, I'd rather slug it out with a wet drunk uh, than sit into a meeting for two hours reading the concepts. And... Um, uh, Sometimes I feel like I, somebody better jam me in the eye with a cattle prod to wake me up, you know. I say, but, uh, but I do it because it's important and it has to be done. And some jobs have to be done. And then I uh, answer the phone. You know, I told you about my idea about sleep. Got to get my sleep. But my, I answer the phone from 10 at night until 8 in the morning when I go to work. And... Uh, the calls, a lot of the calls are not, they're not alcoholics. I don't know what they are. Uh, I can't figure them out. And they always call the best, the most famous hours are 4.30 and 3.30. And uh, they go like this. The minute I answer the phone, they wake me up, of course. I'm trying to sleep. Got to go to work tomorrow. Those unselfish, well, I won't say what I was going to say. But anyway, they say, um, you don't know who I am. <laughs> I know who they are, you know. I've been talking to them for years. And uh, I said, Dave, what are you calling about now? You got to help me get my guns back from the sheriff at 4:30 in the morning. Yeah, Dave. Okay, go back to bed, Dave, please. And uh, but what I tell you this is that uh, I lay my head back down the pillow. That's why I go back to sleep. Everything's okay. You know, I don't have to fret and worry. Everything's okay. So I've been given a life. I tried to. Eliminate myself. You people wouldn't let me. And you hung on to me. You know, the, uh, this morning, uh, our, my daughter's room and mine's connected with the door. And she leaves it, uh, partly cracked. And we go back and forth through that door. And I was kneeling and saying my, uh, morning prayers before I got up and and did what I had to do. And uh, she came in, and I was almost wanting her to pray with me. She's in the program, my little girl, that I didn't raise. She's got nine years now. And uh, But I always uh, like to read a part of the second, chapter, the second chapter because the second chapter grabbed me. I was in a detox, and I was so... I didn't think I could ever get sober, and I was just in the detox... Uh, uh, waiting until I could get out of there and get my clothes back, you know, and maybe become a counselor. Uh, and um, they, um, 
But they, um, but in that, in that uh, second chapter, it talks about a shipwreck. So that caught my eye because I was a merchant seaman, and I seen ships that were wrecked. I wasn't on any of them, and uh, I went and uh, read that. Uh, I read it all the time. But as you get past the ship, it talks about the camaraderie of the captain and the lowest person in the boat. How now that they're in the boat and they've been saved, there's a camaraderie that has developed. But in AA, it says that it stays even after we're rescued. That camaraderie stays. And it's cemented by a common peril. The common peril is we have the capabilities of killing ourselves. Or I should say, I have, you know. I, w- I can kill myself, I know that. Fatally flawed somewhere in my thinking, my emotions. I don't know where it starts, but um, I know that I can do that. And so you people keep me from doing that. But I looked at uh, Alcoholics Anonymous as the lifeboat. We're all in the lifeboat. If you're tired of swimming and think you might drown, this is my metaphor for AA, and someone reaches for you in a boat, uh, grab his hand, get in the boat. When you get in the boat, don't try to become captain. Um, There's a whole bunch in there that already think they're captain. Got that problem in Atlanta too. <laughs> Don't go near the tiller. That's what you steer the ship with, or the boat. You don't know how to steer. Don't ask anybody where you're going. They know. Just position yourself in that boat, the way you can reach for another person that isn't going to make it, unless you reach for them. You might be the only person that be able to grab his hand and get him into the boat. That's my metaphor for alcoholics anonymous. I oversimplify everything, but uh, I more or less have to. I'm not a, I'm not a real uh, brain buster. I, I never, well, what kept me out of college was high school. I you know, I, um, <laughs> uh, and uh, so, uh, I, um, but you know what? You don't have to be real intelligent, you know, to um, to have these people help you. They did me, and I didn't have a lot going for me. My friend John and his wife and all you people, uh, I can feel you helping me today. Uh, the day I come in here and decide I'm going to help you, I'm in trouble. But I knew before I got up here at this podium, I said, those people are going to help me. I know they will. You know, no no matter what kind of talk I get, I am going to be helped. Each and one of you are helping me now. I know that. I feel it. And so uh, I've had John and me sat down, and um, I never met a plate of food I didn't like. And we sat... um, uh, we uh, this this place here is an awesome awesome place compared to my early days in AA. You know, the food and the surroundings and ice water and air conditioning and it's just uh, it's really amazing. It's almost like going to heaven. But uh, John and me got to share, and I thanked him. I thanked him for him showing up at my door when he did. And you say, well, what a coincidence! But I've heard too in AA that a coincidence is God working quietly. And uh, what a coincidence. John showed up at my door. And I can't live alone. I always was either married or in a big family. And here I am alone. And, uh, and I can't. And my dog didn't, didn't pay any attention. And uh, uh, he's a good hunting dog, but had no personality at all. But, uh, <laughs> you know... Um, but John shows up, and then I got to think, 
said, I don't like to kick the word around miracle too much, uh, but I've got to think that in my life that was a miracle because uh, we stayed together two and a half years. We were called the odd couple. Uh, because John, actually, I had a, I had a job where I uh, worked in the afternoon and John had a daytime job and he was actually staying in bed longer than my uh, nighttime job. Uh, I couldn't, I couldn't figure that one out. And, uh, uh, and then he would always leave the house in a white shirt and a tie. And I was spray painting, uh, street sweepers. And, uh, uh, and like I say, I, I'm not, everybody will attest to this, I'm not Mr. Clean. And, uh, and we had some crazy experiences, crazy experiences. Uh, I'll just tell you one real quick because, uh, no, I'm not going to tell that. Uh, John's wife is here. But, um, uh, you know, um, hey, I guess I could call all you people boat mates. We're all in the same boat. And I want to thank you for reaching for me, getting me out of the water. And uh, I learned a long time ago, too, that... Uh, the, uh, all we get is rationed out day at a time. Uh, don't try to store it up like a squirrel storing up nuts for a cold winter. Don't work. And uh, you'll see happy times like this, and you'll see sad times. And it just goes with the territory. But don't try to change it by chemical uh, persuasion. It um, uh, Just take it as it comes and figure out how to get past those sorrowful times and get into good times. I go to a meeting at the Triangle Club in Pomona, and these people are not road scholars, and um, maybe that's why I uh, got two guys working for me. I call, I call one of them Bonehead and the other Conehead, and, um, and people tell me I hire people like that, so I feel smart, but uh, the, um, I go to the Triangle Club maybe for the same reason, you know. But we had one day, I was getting ready to leave the Triangle Club, and a guy come up to me, and he had a breath that would have fried a chicken. And uh, he said, uh, in 32 more days, I'm going to get a 30-day chip. And, uh, you know, you, you got to... You got to think about that one. And I think I said, keep up the good work or something. <laughs> and then another guy was uh, sitting next to me, and they call him the glider because his feet never leave the ground, but he moves. But uh, he said uh, he took a 60-day chip and a five-year cake on the same night. <laughs> But he used a different name both times. So that, uh, Tom had 60 days and Jim had five years. And it was in the same body. But uh, anyway, I'm just horsing around up here. Uh, I hope I, uh, I want to thank the committee. And geez, I tell you, with this bill up here as a warm-up man, you can't miss. And uh, all the people I heard, and Rhea, and uh, uh, she's a beautiful lady, and she's uh, my kind of gal. She really um, uh, been there and done that, and has stayed in the boat. Anyway, uh, I want to thank you all. Today, I didn't have to score. I didn't have to give some moron some money and have him go into a front door of the bar and uh, not come out. Did I? <laughs> you think I would have known they had a back door, but but I'd wait two or three weeks out in front of that place, <laughs> knowing he's coming out any moment. And also, I didn't have to line up in front of Jay's liquor store. Jay's liquor store. Sometimes would not open up until five after six, 
that's not right. I, uh, I'd have my face pressed against the window, watching him count his money. And then when he did open up, I'd walk in and I had a lot of pride. And I'd say, Jay, what would be a good wine with spaghetti? <laughs> and and um, Jay would play the game. He'd say, John, a light fin rosé, blah, blah, blah. And all the time they had a sail fin of stuff they couldn't move. And they'd put it in that fin and it was marked down. And in there, there was a, my favorite, would have been yours too, something called Pride of Cucamonga. <laughs> and it was, uh, it had, it had some bad side effects like causing your lips to peel. But, uh, I used to wet my pants a lot and my lips were peeling and I wondered why I couldn't get any dates. Uh, but, uh, you know, some guy told me, he said, you know that stuff you're drinking, never seen a grape? He says that, uh, he said, it's, it's chemical, it's me oh, who cares? I'm not looking for grapes anyhow. You know, uh, folks, I love you. And thanks for being in the boat with me. And, uh, and thanks, John. Love you, John. And Mary Emma. And my little girl, little girl left at three, and here she's back. And, uh, and she takes care of me. Uh, gives me a lot of orders is what she does. And uh, sort of reminded me of her mother. But, um, you know, um, her mother died here five months ago. I think I was able to make amends. Uh, I don't know. Sometimes you wonder when men seem... I said, don't really help a lot of real bad injuries. I, 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 I was really not good to that woman for six years. And, uh, but what goes around comes around. I got a wife now that's tougher than a longshore. I mean, uh, shut up, she explains, you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, but you know, um, John and, uh, he got me here, and uh, if you have any problems with me, take it up with John. Uh, I, uh, uh, I just, I'm on a real high. I'm on a real high, and I'm sober. And I didn't take anything, but I'm high. I'm on a real high. Anyway, I didn't have to score today. I didn't have to line up in front of Jay's liquor store. And in my life, that's a miracle of Alcoholics Anonymous. Thank you. Thank you.